Welcome to The Gridiron Show. I'm taping this on a Friday. It's Ollie Connolly here, the editor of Gridiron. A little bit of a different show. Earlier in the week, we had the new main show, which is Will Gavin, Cy Clancy, and myself breaking down all the latest news and the biggest question in the NFL. Uh, later in the week, on most weeks, we're going to have more of a conversation show between myself and another sports writer or someone from around the league or game um, from high school, or college, the NFL, wherever it is. And we're going to get a little bit nerdier. There's going to be some scheme talk. There's going to be some deep dive talk. And we're going to start today talking with Mark Bullock from Bullock's Film Room about the Carson Wentz trade from earlier this week and all things happening in Washington. Welcome to the Gridiron Show, taping this on a Friday afternoon with Mark Bullock from Bullock's Film Room. You may have read him before at The Athletic or The Washington Post. He covers now the newly minted Washington Commanders. And the last time we spoke, Mark, they were still my favorite team in football for on-field reasons and for the reason of having the name the Washington football team, which I thought was really cool and unique. And now they have this grotesque name that's a mouthful that is basically <laughs> the Washington Commies. First and foremost, how are you feeling about now covering a team where you have to write the word commanders consistently? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm still transitioning to that. It's still getting used to, um, you know, writing commanders. I'd spent the last two years adapting from writing the old team names or writing football team or, or more often using Washington. So being able to change from writing it to they um, grammatically uh, it has been nice. But yeah, writing commanders is uh, definitely taking a bit getting used to. Um, so we will go through all the latest news with this team, which is basically they've traded for Carson Wentz. And I'm trying to th- remember now off the top of my head just quite how bad this package was. From memory, they swapped twos. It's a yep. three. And then there's another three that can become a two. Or is the three that's in the deal the three that can become the two? It, so, yes, you're right. They've swapped twos this year. So uh, Washington drops back five spots in the second round this year. Um, and then Washington sending their third round pick this year. And then the, um, there's a conditional third round pick next year that if Wentz can place something like 70% of the snaps, um, then that third round pick will turn into a second round pick next year. So the first thing I will say before we just quickly get into the Washington stuff, whenever I have Mark on, we always do the nerdy schematic football stuff. And I always say probably much to Mark's chagrin that there is a lot to talk about with the Washington football team, but I like to have him on to discuss football stuff. I always say, go and read Bullock's film room, his Substack newsletter, whether you are a Washington football fan or not, because you will learn stuff. And as I always point out, it is also run by the worst owner in the league. And I encourage you to go and read the Washington post reporting on all the off the field stuff around this franchise mark and i like to discuss on the field so because they actually do some really interesting on the field stuff all the time through different iterations of the team and this one in particular now to me has become fascinating so my first thought when that pop-up notification came through on my phone that said they traded for castle went i went oh my god poor mark bullock he's gonna have to spend the next 12 months of his life analyzing to minute detail the mechanics and life of Carson Wentz. So first and foremost, just emotionally, how did you feel when you got the pop notification? You're going through Malik Willis. You're going through, can I talk myself into Kenny Pickett? Could the Navy be a Garoppolo deal? And all of a sudden it's Carson Wentz. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think if anyone sees my, my Twitter from the last few days, I've kind of been tweeting through it. And my initial reaction was kind of, Oh, really this kind of thing again. And it, yeah, it, it, 
it took some getting over. Um, it, 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 I then spent the whole of when did this trade happen? Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I spent the whole of Wednesday night basically watching six Colts games from last year, watching Wentz and and you know like from watching him, there is things to like it. it but my overall feeling was that he is kind of Taylor Heineke, but in a six foot five frame with a much stronger arm. Um, so he, he is an upgrade um, from certainly what they had. Uh, but I think the issue for me is that they gave up so much to get him. Um, and a lot of people have been saying, oh, well, it's only a couple of third round picks. That's not a lot for a quarterback. And it's not, but it, it depends on what they're, feeling is the plan with him if if he's just going to be a bridge for that they're going to cut next year because the contract is very cuttable next year um if he's just going to be a bridge to some younger quarterback next year then why the hell have they gone for this guy that they've paid two third round picks for and taking on this contract why would they not just sign a a james winston in free agency or a marcus mariota in free agency you know someone that didn't cost them draft picks that allowed them to use both their cap room and their draft picks to continue to build the team up for whoever is the next guy to come in and, and have a better team. Um, so I, I didn't like the trade if that is the plan. Um, but if, if the true, if the plan is that, you know, they're going to go all in with Wentz and this is their quarterback now, then yes. In, in, in theory, a couple of third round picks isn't much for a quarterback. If that's the guy you're going to go all in with, but is Carson Wentz really the guy you want to go all in with? It, it's uh, it's not necessarily the most <laughs> the best plan, but given what Washington they you know they they swung and missed on on Russell Wilson and they were never going to get Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson, something that probably that team in particular shouldn't even think about going near. So um, you know, is Wentz the next best option? Maybe, but it's, t- and you know, Rivera's in this situation where he's going to year three, he hasn't found a quarterback yet. And he might be feeling a little bit of pressure that he needs to win this year to kind of establish this regime that he's built as, as his and, and su- sustainable over the long term. So, um, yeah, I, I think, it, it's not the they weren't in the best spot because finding a quarterback this year was always going to be tough. Um, but uh, the, giving up the tr- the trade that they did for Wentz, if he's the bridge, I hate it. If he's going to be the guy they're going to go all in with, then I, I don't love it, but I understand why they've done it. It is the cap hole to me. It's like we four months ago was it now we were just in taylor heineke and it's like that there's something there there's that moxie word i always use with you where there is a little bit something something it's nowhere near a long-term solution but i would not say carson went to the 20 million dollar <laughs> upgrade over taylor heineke which is what the cap holders and i understand that there's all these flaws with Jameis winston but it did seem like they were set up in a really nice situation which they have this really talented core of players they could go and swing at one of the QBs in the draft and they would never get blamed for taking one. It's a free hit. It's an EJ manual. It's like no one gets five for taking that guy because everyone knows they all probably stink and you just maybe could hit and you do the one year again like they tried with Ryan Fitzpatrick, which is we know we got a decent core and we'll take the one year shot on Jameis or Trubisky or whoever the other one is. And we all know they're crap too, but no one gets fired because you're not giving up draft picks to go and say, 
that for some reason, somehow for a year is my guy. That 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 is the part that is a little bit puzzling because Rivera never, ever, ever in his DNA at any point has indicated panic. He's never been the guy who's operated like my job could be on the line here. You never see him throw around. At the, at the end of days in Carolina, he was getting the cap ready for the guys after him. So that that part where it's like, what is the disconnect there? Is it purely the ownership perhaps is like, well, I want something that's a name, that's a brand going into the season. Because this notion, and I saw you tweeting about this the night of the, well, they have everything in place. They have a really talented offensive line. They've got really talented skill position players. Well, so did Indianapolis. And they could not wait to get this guy out the door. Yeah, it, it's um, that, that's the biggest thing for me is that Rivera has basically spent the whole offseason saying, we're going to take a big swing at, uh, at some quarterbacks. And I think we've all kind of known for a while now that this isn't going to be the best quarterback class in the draft. And, and so the best option is going to be try to land one of the big fish, uh, Aaron Rodgers, but that was never going to happen, or Russell Wilson. And, and turns out that was pretty unlikely as well. Um, and so they kind of put themselves in this situation where Rivera's been kind of constantly on this notion of we've got a very good offensive line to pass protect. We've got a good run game. We've got a very talented defense. Uh, we've got a number one receiver in Terry McLaurin and we've got Curtis Samuel who was injured all of last year, but he could be a very good number two when he's healthy. And um, Antonio Gibson out the backfield's really talented and all this kind of thing. He, he was kind of bigging up that they've got this team in place for a quarterback. But when you look at, the situation Wentz had in Indy. Okay, maybe they didn't have necessarily the, the weapons that Washington has, but Michael Pittman's a, a damn good receiver. He's maybe he's not Terry McLaurin, but he's still pretty good himself. Um, and, you know, they have probably a deeper set of tight ends than Washington does. Um, and, you know, the offensive line maybe wasn't as good in pass protection, but, you know, they did have Jonathan Taylor run for God knows how many yards. So they had a pretty strong run game uh, and that defense is pretty strong. So, and as you said, they, they, you know, they failed to make the playoffs. It didn't work for them. And on top of that, they had the coach that, you know, wanted him and, and, and that he wanted to be with. So, that was the kind of ideal situation for Wentz and, and, and to try to now turn around and sell that situation as being the, uh, what's going to fix him is, is a tough sell. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think they need to, I, I don't think that Rivera, I, I hope when they have whatever introductory press conference that, that Rivera doesn't come out and say, well, we've got this kind of things around him because that's exactly what the Colts had and that didn't work. So uh, I hope that he's got some other, um, other justification behind this kind of move. The, the only other thing before we get into some more of the, the micro football stuff is this notion of him as the off the field guy, which isn't typically our bag to get into, but I did love the detail and the athletic story that Frank Wright took Jim Irsay out for lunch to apologize for vouching for Carson Wentz. An amazing apology meal. You never hear of a head coach being allowed to take his owner out for lunch to say sorry. <laughs> that is that is beautiful. Um, the thing where I think that's a bit different, I think there's some things here where I'm trying to find the positive spin for Washington and we can get onto some of the on-field stuff in a second, but I do think there's some positive spin in the, that I, I don't think that that defensive front is looking to Carson Wentz for any kind of leadership, nor do I ever get the sense that a Ron Rivera organization 
cares all that much about the rah-rah nonsense. If anything, he's almost a walking billboard for competency himself. And he kind of gets attached to him because of his background. He's some sort of like some spiritual leader. But really, his whole bag is we're going to bring in coaches. I'm going to let them coach. We're going to be as smart as possible. And we'll just go and play football. And they don't buy in, I don't think, to all this nonsense of everyone's got to go out for meals together and all this stuff that fans love about team, team, team. He's all about core competency. And that's how you win football games. Yeah, I, I, well, so this is the really interesting thing is that when when Rivera's been asked about quarterbacks and, and what the number one thing he's looked for in quarterbacks, he's quite often said leadership, which makes this Carson Wentz deal even more questionable. But um, I, I think what you were talking about there is he is kind of, Rivera's the face of this franchise. Normally it's, uh, you know, the quarterback or a top defensive player or, you know, but it's Rivera that is the face of this franchise. And he's been made that way because of the mess that the owner put this franchise in for the last 20 years. And he's had to come in, Rivera has had to come in and and try to clean up and, and, and take on, you know, the whole brand. And, And so uh, I think from that perspective of of do they need a leader at the quarterback position? I mean, you always need a kind of leader at the quarterback position, but you, you're right. It doesn't need to be a, a rah-rah guy necessarily. Um, and Washington has some decent leadership in, in, in their team, I would think now. Like Jonathan Allen is a, is a well-respected leader on the defensive line. Um, Charles Leno, um, to a degree, Brandon Sheriff, obviously he's going to be gone in free agency, but, um, you know, Chase Rudier and, and Charles Leno on the offensive line are, are pretty good leaders. Um, Terry McLaurin is is very much a leader in that locker room. Um, and, and as you say, Rivera um, is, you know, the guy. So they don't necessarily need Carson Wentz to come in and be this, um, kind of have this aura of leadership around him. Um, so in that regard, yes, potentially it, it could work. Um, and I think from from what I've I've read of certainly last year, where, where there's, there was like uh, I think there was a podcast with with Chris Long and and Malcolm Jenkins, two of his teammates from, from Philly, and they both talked about that he's not this terrible guy that people make him out to be, but he he's kind of he's not necessarily the the standout leader that goes around and, and makes friends with everyone in the locker room and wants everyone to like him. He kind of, he kind of stays in his own corner and, and kind of keeps his, his close circle of friends. And, 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 you know, that that's fine. That's a personality type and, and that can still be successful. And it, it was when the Eagles were winning the Super Bowl in 2017. <laughs> yeah. So like it, it can work, but it, it's, it's interesting to see exactly how that will, that will fit in in Washington because it, it, in theory, that they should have enough leadership on the roster, um, but it is an odd one considering Rivera has quite often pointed to leadership being a, a key trait that he seeks in a quarterback. Let's do the on-field stuff then. So you went through those six games. Did you take the last six games of the season? Did you go through throughout the season? Because they ha- he had a decent-ish start to last year where he had a bunch of turnover-worthy plays he was just not getting punished for. So he got some turnover luck early in the year. Then it all kind of came crashing down as a house of cards where he lost all that turnover luck. And even some decent plays ended up being turnovers towards the end of the season. And it just completely fell apart. Um, Though for my part, I'll get into this in a a little second, but 
I felt like they they definitely lost faith in him. You can see it schematically throughout the season where they just decide, yeah, this guy in for us long term is not happening. And they get more and more into hammer the run game on first and second down. And more and more it's third and long. And the one place you do not want Carson Wentz is third and long with time in his hands when he's got to do some thinking. And they put him more and more into those spots, which is just curious coaching for a staff that knows him so well. So so what leapt out to you initial impressions when you went through those Wentz games? Yeah, um, so I I didn't just pick the last six games or the first six games. I kind of I kind of handpicked kind of looking statistically at what was his best game, what was his worst game, and, and kind of picking through some different games and, and against decent defenses and um, and that kind of thing. So I, I wanted to kind of get an idea of what his highest highs and what his lowest lows were, um, and it, it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that uh, it, it's kind of as I said with T- uh, Taylor Heineke, but bigger and stronger um he, he he makes some of these outstanding throws where you're like god this guy could be one of the best quarterbacks in the league if he could do that every week or every every series but then two plays later he'll go and like it'll be as you say third and long and he doesn't know how to accept that this play is bust and the best thing to do is take a sack or throw it away. Um, he tries to, you know, scramble around and, and force the ball down the field or there was that, I think it was the Titans game where he was in the end zone on a busted screen and in, he realized he was in, in the end zone. So he didn't want to throw an intentional grounding and get a safety. So he transfers the ball to his left hand and tries to toss it in the air and gets intercepted for a touchdown. So it, it, he, his worst trait is that he compounds bad plays and, and, and turns them into horrific plays that can really kill a game. Um, but on the other side of that is he can ter- also turn bad plays into um, amazing plays that are like, you know, Mahomes and Josh Allen, like where they, they will scramble around, dodge defenders and launch a ball 50 yards down the field on a rope and, and hit a guy in the back corner of the end zone. Like, he does have that ability. So um, it's very much a roller coaster. They're very much very high highs and very low lows. And trying to find a middle ground of that is quite difficult. Um, and it, I think for what Washington's going to, they kind of rode that roller coaster to an extent with Heineke in that he, he was kind of similar, but he didn't necessarily have the arm strength to push the ball down the field. Um, so Wentz does have that ability to drive the ball down the field, which opens up things for the offense. And and that is what will be refreshing from Washington's point of view, because Washington, they, they couldn't just push the ball down the field and, and teams could congest the middle of the field and then the short to intermediate paces. And, and that, that stopped them from doing any kind of, well, it didn't stop them from doing Dinkins dunk stuff, but it, it certainly hindered their ability to pick up, uh, five to eight yards you know slant on second and ten you know and get themselves back ahead of the chains one thing that really stood out to me watching them is frank reich has the reputation as being one of the quarterback gurus whisperers you always hear the expression he makes life easier for quarterbacks and i'd actually think that offense did make life all that much easier for him For, for that specific player it was way more isolation based than i ever remember them being in philadelphia i Reich is known as one as the of the RPO gurus of the league. He believes in RPOs. They run a ton of RPOs, and it can sometimes skew their numbers. But they remain really rudimentary 
first era of RPOs in the NFL when the Eagles took them by storm and there's none of the real second level, third level stuff like they ran in Miami, for instance, last season that really blows you back like, oh, they're still layering on top of their RPO game. It's the exact same stuff you see run on Friday nights uh, all over the country, essentially. And the, the key thing to me was the, the volume of mirrored concepts where they run so for an example to the listeners, a mirrored concept, let's say you run two court, uh, we're in what, well, let's say 11 personnel, two by two formation, hitches on the outside corners from the inside receivers, right? So you mirror it to both sides of the field. They run a ton of that stuff. And my big thing with Wentz, I wrote about this in more detail today for the read optional people can go read it there. My big thing with Wentz, I think he's one of the worst resetters in the league. I think when you ask him to completely pivot his body shape and say, okay, you're moving from one side of the field to the other side of the field, sort out all the eyes and feet, get yourself. He does not throw very well when he's not lined up. That's why he's kind of a weird oxymoronic player, right? Because you look at the skill set, the size, the ability to move, and you think, oh, he can play off platform and he can move around. Like you were saying, there's the Josh Allen plays in there, but he's often terrible when asked to do those things, that's where all those disaster plays come from. And he prefers to just say, tell me where to throw the ball. Let me hit my foot, put all the cleats to the ground and drive the thing to where I, I want it to go. And you start going through their offense as the season went along. By the end of the year, 16% of their targets were hitches. They were saying, all right, mate, get the ball out there as quick as yeah. possible and get on with the game, right? So it became really static, really isolated. And a lot of these concepts where they're saying bounce from one side of the field from that corner all the way to the other corner, and he just could never get his feet completely realigned to where he wanted to go. So the ball starts sailing on him. His arm is really iffy when when his, his feet aren't tied to his eyes. And I'm just watching it going, this is crying out for some Bruce Arians-isms where all the routes flow with the eyes, right? Then instead of it being bounced from one side of the field to the other, it's just slightly shuffling your feet and your hips because as you move your eyes, all the routes are flowing across the field into your eye line. And it's a really small tweak that Scott Turner can make, but I think it will be, it will not be transformative for his game, but it would have a huge impact. And yes, you're congesting the field yourself and you're naturally cutting off often half the field and you're making life easier for the defense. But I would rather have Carson Wentz playing more within the flow of a system where it's one to two and it's all flowing into his eyes. So he doesn't have to move his feet a ton. Then what they asked him to do at the back end of last year was to, they, they built a system that said our quarterback needs to move his feet and hips a lot with a quarterback who is terrified to move his feet and hips and reset basically. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. And I, I think um, from the, the Washington perspective of that is that I think Scott Turner would be able to, um, do those things you're talking about and quite often they they run turner someone that likes to run just a handful of concepts and dress them up in in various formations and motions and shifts and stuff um and so they will quite often run like mesh four or five times a game they'll run dagger four or five times a game they'll they love a four verts and they love sale um and so they, they love flooding one side of the field and, and attacking the three different layers of the field um and that i think you're right in that that's where wentz would work better is that he can keep his eyes and his feet and his shoulders aligned better to one side of the field and just work from deep to intermediate to low instead of working from 
right to middle to left. Um, and as you say, that, that allows him to, to keep his footwork and his body and mechanics in a, in a line much easier than having to shuffle from one side of the field to the other, as you mentioned. So I, I think there are certainly things in the Washington offense that, that translate to that. And obviously you, you would expect any kind of coach that, that brings in a quarterback that will, that will discuss kind of the favorite concepts and, and stuff that they like to do and try to tailor the offense to them. So um, I, I think there is some, some optimism that, that they can, they can cut down a little bit on, on the, the negativity that the Carson Wentz had, or the, maybe the inconsistencies that Wentz had. But um, I, I still think, you know, some of it is going to be a case of he, he just can't refuse to accept bad plays and, and, and turn over the ball and turn it into bad, uh, make bad plays worse. How much of the Washington offense, have they spoken publicly about how much of it is option-based? Because I was going through the Eagles install from 2018, which is right with Wentz, right? And so much of that offense is based on option stuff. And I don't remember when Wentz was playing well, it ever being more than completely preordained shit, basically. And it was that was why they were so effective on the RPOs. It was one, you know, one step and fire type football. So how much of the Washington offense is about having the quarterback read out different depths, different coverage shells, and how much is just purely get the ball out timing base. And we're not changing the concept or is that kind of muddy by the fact they were working Taylor Heineke through some stuff. He just isn't the kind of player that, that another league average guy would be. It's kind of tough to know exactly for sure, because um, as you say, we've seen Scott Turner basically work with Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen, and, and he's not necessarily had a, a quarterback that he can trust to do everything he possibly want. So it, it's tough to know exactly for sure. Um, trying to tailor things to certain quarterbacks, but um Certainly with, with Heineke, a lot of it was um, kind of, uh, they, they did run a lot of RPOs and stuff and, and um, trying to get the ball out quickly and uh, a lot of empty sets where they would spread out the um, receivers and the running backs and tight ends and try to create mismatches and and that would allow Heineke to quickly catch the ball and get the ball out to the mismatch that they like and, and that kind of thing. So um, there is certain parts of the offense where it is get the ball out quickly and, and, and dink and dunk your way down the field. But um, a part of that is just because that's who Taylor Heineke is. He doesn't have the ability to really drive the ball. So um, I think, I think they would like to be able to open things up a little bit more and kind of drop back in and, allow things to develop down the field and, and drive the ball down the field. And as I said, the kind of things they like to throw, they like to throw four verse, they like to throw dagger concepts. Um, they like to throw sale concepts and, and that kind of stuff to, to, to work well with, with, um, with Wentz is to, you know, sale stuff where they, they flood one side of the field, as we talked about, um, keeping things to one side for him to make the reads relatively easy, um, but just working vertical to intermediate to shallow. And, and you know, they'll, they'll have five different variations of there. Maybe the shallow cross comes from the backside rather than a tight end working to the flat, or maybe they'll have, um, you know, 
the running back work to the flat or the running back run the sale and the tight end working to the flat. And they'll have lots of different variations of that, but um, just to keep the defense honest, but it will be repeating the same kind of concepts and dis- disguising them rather than um, using too much different things. All right, let's bounce around the rest of this team. I got to start with Landon Collins, where I was very upset to see this news. Very upset. You know, Landon Collins is my guy because I think he's gotten a really bad rap because he was put in a box from a national perspective a couple of years ago, probably when that deal was signed. That guy is a down safety, which I fully get. He kind of is. But as we spoke about, as I mentioned, kind of midpoint on of the season, they were using him in, I thought, creative ways where there was three safety sets now and Collins was the third safety. They used him basically as the RPO eraser where he was a box-in, box-out defender and they would have him basically wall off slant passes inside and funnel things to the perimeter by aligning him in, in uh, not an unusual way, but as an apex cover down, as the, the football coaching nerds would say, which you don't see a ton of in the NFL, really. So they were really trying to, pinch some stuff that we've seen work through the college game, particularly in the Big 12, and use Landon Collins as this move piece to allow him to try to do some different stuff as they just had these bodies falling around all over the field. And then we come to the offseason, I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, Del Rio's hanging around. That was a bit unusual. And it was such a mess for Bulks last season. They're going to keep Collins. He's a veteran leader. They're doing this three safety stuff. All of a sudden, they go to him twice and say, take a pay cut. And he says, take a hike. And now there's no more Landon Collins. Yeah, they. I, I think they they wanted to keep him because they liked what he brought to the locker room and, and they liked the depth that that gave them at safety and, and they liked that they could run those three safety stuff. But uh, I think what they ultimately decided was, um, well, A, he's on a big contract, so that, that cap hit was going to be significant and they could save a significant amount from cutting him. Um, so I think that's what they wanted. And obviously, once you trade for Carson Wentz and he has his cap hit, and for some reason they they couldn't manage to make a deal where they weren't taking on a huge amount of cap hit from from Wentz, and they couldn't t- make the Colts take some of that. Um, but once they took on Wentz, they they got they went from having something like thirty million in cap space to three. So um, I, I think that always made Landon Collins a cut candidate. And the, the issue they have is that. Cam Curl is a better strong safety than him. Um, so Cam Curl is always going to play strong safety. Collins is not a free safety, as we kind of discussed with the last time I was on. Um, so they had carved out this role for him, as you say, kind of as an apex defender. Um, and and that worked, but they, they also have a first-round pick in Jamin Davis that they tried to fit at the mic, and he didn't fit as the mic, and, and he's more of a will. And they've got... Cole Holcomb, who they tried to fit as a mic, and he didn't really fit as the mic, and he's more of a Sam or a Will linebacker. Um, and so what they what they really want is a mic linebacker with Jamin Davis at the Will and Cole Holcomb at, at the Sam, and then they can play kind of just zone coverages and keep things in front of those guys. And and Davis is athletic enough that he could do some of the stuff that Collins was doing. Um, so. If if that is the case, they go and sign a, a Mike linebacker and they play three linebackers and, and base sets, then you know that there's not really a spot on the field for, for Landon Collins with, with Cam Curl taking the strong safety. So um I think at that point they they thought the contract it, with you know the lack of a real role for him 
in 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 what they want to do um is was just kind of too much for them to to run with um i, I think if if D- Jamin Davis could have played the mic or if if Cole Holcomb could have played the mic, then they could have continued with this three safety set. Um, or if they were going to try a few different things out with it, then then they they could have gone with that. And I'm sure they would have liked to have kept Collins at a certain number um, to give them the flexibility to go to that if they want to go to nickel packages and or a big nickel package and do that kind of thing. But I, I just think in terms of the... He's he was on a huge contract, and they just couldn't afford to have that contract for what might have been only a partial role. So I'm looking through these um, off-ball linebackers in free agency, and I'm seeing Bobby Wagner, Anthony Hitchens, Dante Hightower, Jordan Hicks, Kyle Van Noy, Jared Davis, AJ Johnson. It's not exactly screaming, I'm going to move around and and make some moves in zone and I can drop and then rally, which I understand those young guys maybe bring real athleticism in the will and Sam spot. Maybe you just want a guy to just torpedo gaps and just blow things up inside and try and defend it as light as possible. Do you think they look at one of those older guys in frenzy for that mic spot or are they going into the draft again trying to get themselves another linebacker? I think they probably want a veteran. Um, I it was it was very weird to see at the end of last year um, the the I think the last two games uh, a veteran David Mayo who who was with Rivera in in Carolina and obviously knew the system pretty well um, he came in and played the mic spot because he could make the calls and and make those calls without being hesitant and and that was that was the issue that they had with both Davis and Holcomb they, they those two could play their roles. Um, individually or individually they could make the calls but they couldn't make the calls and play their role and and not get it all mixed up together so you could see whenever they were whenever they had the green dot and they had to make the calls and stuff that they were always a step slower than when they didn't have that responsibility and when David Mayo came in he's not this amazing linebacker he he doesn't do offer you anything really in coverage uh, but he could identify fronts, identify motions and, and, and know what calls and adjustments that the defense needs to make. And he could do that and still shoot gaps and, and get downhill quickly and, and fill his assignment. And that freed up Cole Holcomb. He played much better in those last couple of games. Um, James Davis, when he was in and they played three linebackers, he played much better because someone else was making those calls. So I don't think that they would want to go down the rookie path and, and you know draft someone at eleven and and say he's he's our new Mike linebacker because he's going to have similar issues of learning the system and trying to make the calls and, and being a step slow. So I, I think they're going to want a veteran guy and I don't know exactly who. I don't. Know. Bobby Wagner is obviously the big name out there and, and he's known for his veteran leadership and and his athleticism in the past and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I could imagine he would appeal to them, but. Um, I think that that would be the more likely path they go down is finding a veteran that can make the calls and, and as you say, kind of just shoot the gaps and then not worry too much about the coverage stuff, kind of just sit in that kind of underneath the zone and and, and drive down on things. I'd be a little bit disappointed if they went down the, I don't think Hightower is really going to be available. I think he retires or returns to New England at this point. But if they, if they go down the, I mean, Wagner was toast last year. If they, if they go down one of these classic Washington, let's give someone 6 million moves because we like them and, and they can shout at our younger players. That, should they not be trying to say, 
we have all these creatures up front. We might have the, the number one off the bus defensive line in the NFL right there with Pittsburgh. Let's be the springiest, most athletic defense in the entire league. And then you can play zone. No problem. Let's just go spot dropping and then I'll rally to the ball. We got better players than everyone else. It, I really feel like they should be looking even veteran in that 27, 28 year old window where still in their athletic prime and really not be going at Hitchens will be 30 next year. Hightower 32, Van Noy 31, Wagner's going to be 33 i think at the start of next year minter 33 that that smells of rivera that's got rivera all over it but i really feel like they should just be saying we got to be the most athletic team in the nfc yeah i i i don't necessarily disagree that they they and and with, with this wentz move and, and they have to try to create cap space they 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 might not necessarily go down that that route, especially if you know the, the reports are like oh, Bobby Wagner is getting attention all across the league and, and might get a decent contract, then they're not going to be able to afford that without you know cutting other people or restructuring contracts and that kind of thing. So um, they might not be able to do that. They might have to go for someone a little bit younger. That um, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what name would fit them, but um, you know. Th- they, they, I, I think the key for Rivera is going to be a veteran guy that can make the calls, and not necessarily a guy that is supremely athletic that fits the the scheme and and that kind of thing. It's more about being able to make the calls and and work downhill and and fill your gap and getting everyone else on the same page because that was a major major issue they had last year was getting everyone on the same page and 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 you know. It, it doesn't matter how athletic and how good you are. If, if you're not sure what you're meant to be doing, um, then you're not going to be covering anyone. You're not going to be filling any gaps. So um, I think they kind of got a bit of a shock last year when, when Jamin Davis couldn't do it and, and Holcomb struggled to do it. And, you know, John Bostick did it at the start of the year, but he got injured and, and then they really had issues. So they, they, I think he would prefer to find a veteran that they can trust to get everyone aligned, everyone understanding exactly what they have to do on each play and then just, you know, fill his gap responsibly. Was bringing Jack Del Rio back part of keeping it simpatico for those young linebackers in case they can't quite find the guy in frame? Because I really thought, I mean, midway through the year, that it was embarrassing how often they were blowing stuff both on the back end and at the linebacker level and they couldn't even get their pass rush lined up properly and it was a complete disaster for a system that is not overly complicated quite frankly no nope. so i was i just assumed it was a fate complete that they would do the nice handshake and we're all friends and you know i'm not gonna say jack's fired he's gonna go and do retirement but then he's gonna pop up somewhere as an analyst in three weeks time but i don't want to say a fire jack del rio because he's too nice and too famous but we'll just say that we're parting ways for now the fit doesn't work anymore i was pretty stunned that they just said no, we're rolling this whole thing back. We thought we'd be good, but and Fitzpatrick got injured. That's kind of the impression that the stuff they did gave off is like injuries nuke does. It was none of our fault. Yeah, um, and, and I think that they they had the COVID situation at one point, in, or the, sort of midway through the year, which which really hurt them. Um, but yeah, no, I I wondered if they might move on from Del Rio, but the uh, personally, I would have done. Um, I would have looked to. Have found someone else, and even if that is, um, they have Chris Harris as the defensive backs coach, and he's interviewed as a defense for defense coordinator jobs um, the past couple of years. Um, apparently, he was a finalist for the Colts defensive coordinator job this year, and he was a finalist for the Eagles job last year. So, um, even if that was just promoting him, 
Um, but I, the one of the big criticisms of Rivera is that he's almost loyal to a fault of his own staff. And um, I think we saw it in Carolina and we've seen it so far in Washington that he doesn't, he, he likes his guys. He trusts his guys. And, um, you know, we've seen basically the entire Carolina staff come to Washington. So it's not like he's come to Washington and completely revamped what he's doing. It's basically the Carolina staff. And that goes to, you know, the front office with Marty Herney. They, they brought in the same salary cap guy um, from Carolina. Obviously on the offense, we saw Scott Turner. We saw, uh, Pete Horner, the tight ends coach, who's retired. Um, we saw uh, the offensive line coach, John Matsko, um, defense, the linebackers coach, the D-line coach. That was all Carolina stuff. So he is definitely loyal to these guys, and he will not give them up. So uh, I, I think that is the reason they didn't move on from Del Rio, is that you know Del Rio came in and he has head coaching experience, and he's a respected coach in the league and certainly in Rivera's first year in Washington, he had all the cancer troubles and and there was times when Rivera couldn't run team meetings and run the team. And Del Rio was the guy that having previously been a head coach was kind of that he kind of naturally just took over and, and, and ran stuff for Rivera. So I think Del Rio kind of earned his stripes with Rivera at that point. And so Rivera kind of, repaid him with you know we're, we're trusting him for another year i just saw that ken zampezi is the quarterback coach too i don't know how that escaped me this is amazing stuff he brought the whole band with him and i believe like the sun's all over the gaff there too i think that yeah. there's some on staff some are quality assistants that aren't on the payroll but they might be on the payroll but they just kind of hang out with dad and break down film you've got to admire <laughs> it yeah, I think uh, Vincent Rivera, I don't know if that's his son, it might be his nephew or something like that, but he's on the staff and, and just got promoted recently. Um, Luke Del, Del Rio got promoted, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, he got promoted recently as well. Um, so I think he might be assistant quarterbacks coach or something now. I, I'm not 100% sure, but you know, yeah, you're right. That it, it certainly does look like a bit of a, um, a bit of nepotism almost, but you know, that in Washington, we had a similar situation with Mike Shanahan and he hired Carl Shanahan and it seemed like Carl Shanahan was just hiring all his friends with LaFleur and, and McDaniels and McVeigh and that kind of thing. And, you know, that actually kind of turned out to be So, you know, it, it, it's tough that it, it, you don't want to see nepotism, but at the same time, like you have to just hope and trust that these are actually the right guys that they want in the building and, and that from being around their fathers and, and learning football from a young age, like you, you see a lot of coaches, you know, are sons of coaches and they come yeah. up to be good coaches themselves. So uh, yeah, you, you don't like to see nepotism, but at the same time, like it, it, it can kind of work sometimes. Nepotism is a tough one in the NFL because it's such an unusual lifestyle. And I've said this so many times whenever I have to do these like live conference uh, talks and all that, and people hammer me all the time about stuff with the Rooney rule, which is obviously a giant issue unto itself. And it's, it's lack of actually uh, targeting the problem, but when it's a completely different ball game. When you're talking about the kids of coaches, because the only way they can often see their parent is to go to the office and then to break, help them break down film. Right. <laughs> And they're also getting a unique qualification that no one else could have because 
who else has the time and then the expertise to sit from the age of 12, like Matt Patricia, until the age of 27 with his dad in a film room because the only time he can see his dad. So they're racking up hours, the, like the, the 10,000 hours theory, which I know is now considered bollocks, but if it was a thing, they're like the only humans in the world who have the access to do the 10,000 hours theory of watching film before the 24. So that's why they go into the sport, right? So they are, it's a tough thing where you want to, you want to like use it, you want to go, oh, nepotism is really bad, but also they're you uniquely qualified because they've watched more tape than anyone else in the world by that age yeah you just hope that they've done the work as you say they, they've put in the work and, and they've watched tape and, and and you can see that like certainly when it was the shanahan's in washington in, in the early 2010s like you could see that that offense was working it, it, it just wasn't being run by well by a quarterback but you could see that you know the scheme was good and receivers were running open and and run game was being blocked well and all this kind of stuff so yeah like there's lots of coaches that have been it, certainly in in the nfl recently uh, carl shanahan's obviously the the well-known one right now but you know wes phillips was the son of a of a coach and um sorry not wes phillips wade phillips was the son of a coach. wes phillips is his son that's now the offensive coordinator for the vikings and um you know so you you see lots of good sons of coaches in in the nfl um and as you say they are kind of uniquely qualified and and you just hope that you kind of have to hope that they have put in the work and they earned the right and i think for the most part most of those guys kind of have um and you kind of see that they they typically go on to be pretty successful so um yeah and then the benefit is as you say they they they've been breaking this stuff down since they were 10, 12, when they were in their dad's office, you know, hanging out with them. And so um, they have an idea of what works, what doesn't work. And, and much, much earlier on than, you know, the typical life of a coach, I imagine is going to college, not making it as a player, staying in college as a graduate assistant and, and working your way up to a quality control. And then maybe a, a tight ends coach and then an offensive coordinator and all this kind of thing. Like they they don't have to go through that, but they, they kind of went through it when they were 10, 12, 15. <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it, it's a tough one, but um, I, I think in the end, generally a lot of them that, that are seen as, you know, nepotism hires end up being okay. So the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was this offensive line. Last year they had a, they had a sneakily really fun run game. that was a lot more diverse than I thought it would be going into the year. And it was built around, they just had, the, the, I'll use that word creatures again. They had a, the, the offensive line was just giant one and it was really springy and athletic. And they, they really put that to use because they had these players like flowers who is used to playing on the perimeter. So him sealing and guys rolling around him is pretty normal to him. Sheriff is obviously one of the best in business to Sherpa, I mean, it looks like they don't have the cap room now. They would have had to to kind of forgo a big money free agent signing to be in the arms race to keep him more than likely. There was the issue with just playing time with him and maybe not being healthy enough, consistently enough that they would just let him go anyway for, for the price. How is that going to shake out? Because can you really bank on Flowers having another great year? I mean, it's, it's maybe two back-to-back now where he's been pretty good. They were really good last year, but for some reason, I look at it now with Carson Wentz, and I'm like, oh, man, I think they're light. I think they're missing one, maybe two <laughs> pieces when they actually played very well last year. Yeah, it's if you go off of how they played last year and the guys that can come through and fill in for, like, Sheriff was, I think Sheriff was always going to leave. Like, 
Rivera has always spoken very highly of Sheriff and every coach that's ever worked with him obviously does because he's a good player, but um, he, uh, they franchise tagged him back to back. So they were in the, he played last year, $18 million on the second franchise tag, which is ridiculous money for a guard. And, and I, I don't buy into, you can't pay a guard decent money because guards have like someone needs to block Aaron Donald. Right. <laughs> so a guard deserves to be well paid if they're if they're good enough but like um and it was never realistic that they were going to keep sheriff like certainly he was always going to be able to test the market this year and i think someone else probably the bengals were going to pay more than washington could afford to pay so uh, i don't think that was ever realistic that they were going to keep him but um i i think they, they made a smart move in in re-signing Charles Leno. I think he had a decent season. Um, I don't think he's the left tackle of the next 10 years, but, you know, he, he can he can hold the spot down for a, a few years at least. Um, they've got Sam Cosme that they're developing at right tackle, um, their second-round pick last year, and, and, and he needs to work on some things, but you, you'd hope he progresses. Um, Chase Roulier is the anchor at, at centre, although he did get injured. I, I think it was a torn Achilles at the end of the year or something significant that might mean he misses the start of this year at center um so that would be a big miss but if he's back i i genuinely thought that for the first sort of 10 to 12 weeks of the season before he got hurt he was one of the better centers in the week um so and as you say eric flowers flowers did really well at left guard um and he he struggled obviously that left tackle with the giants and he he struggled with the dolphins but for some reason he played left guard for Washington first. He did well. Then he signed a big contract with the Dolphins, struggled, came back to Washington, does well. So there's something about playing in Washington that works for Eric Flowers. Um, and what that is, I'm not sure, because it, it's not like it was the same regime that he played. He came, When he first switched to guard, he was playing under Bill Callahan, and now he's playing under John Matsko. So it's a slightly different scheme and, and um, different coaches and stuff. But you know, both are very good, well-respected offensive line coaches. So um, I think what will probably happen with him is he he's technically on the last year of his deal when he, he's due $10 million. And, and I think they can kind of probably look to extend him and kind of spread that hit out over a few years to free up some more cap space. So I think Eric Flowers will be their starting left guard this year. I think the question is right guard who replaces Sheriff and, where Schweitzer last year, he wasn't that kind of monster that you saw from basically everyone else on the line. He, he's kind of the shorter guy but and more athletic, but he performed just as well as anyone else. Certainly in the zone scheme, he was fantastic, and, and um, he generated a ton of movement. He filled in at left guard, right guard, and even center when Rudier went down. Um, and the the amount of movement he created and the ability to get up to the second level and pick up linebackers was amazing in, in the zone scheme. And so I think he'll get the first shot at it, um, but they could well end up having to play him at center until Rude is back. Um, so I, I think they'll be looking to add probably an offensive lineman, but um, I know they, they feel pretty good about Sadiq Charles, who was their fourth round pick in 2020 um, left tackle out of LSU, but they kind of feel he's better suited to guard um, and they've messed him around a little bit these first two years of his career. He, he, he played left tackle and then got hurt and then they moved into guard and he got hurt and then they kind of switched him 
from playing left side and right side and then both guard and tackles. So I think if they can sort of hone in on just focusing on guard and letting him settle at guard, I think that will will help him. And then we saw that at the end of last year, um, Sheriff was hurt a little bit and, and he filled in for the last couple of games and, and he did pretty well at, at right guard um, once given a, a chance to settle. So um, I, I think... I think they'll, they'll feel pretty good about their depth um, and they'll feel pretty good that they should have at least four pieces or at least three pieces in Rudier, depending on his health, that they'll have four pieces of their, of their five back um, and they'll have a lot of their depth back. Yeah, I think it's just a case of do they, how long will Chase Rudier take to get healthy and will that mean that they, Schweitzer has to play centre and they'll want another guard or will they, be able to leave Schweitzer at right guard and trust that Sadiq Charles can be the backup and, and Rudy can, can stick at center. They're in a really interesting spot in the draft too, because that 11 mark is like just after where that top seven, eight group that you would say maybe the premier guys. Oh, I love that entire class down to about 45. I don't really think there's that much difference once you get from three all the way down. But you look at 11, you're like, they could look at one of the tackles. The top three will probably be gone, but they'll definitely be Charles Cross there most likely. You almost really want to just say to them, can you go take... Tyler Lindenbaum and then just try him a guard if it doesn't work you know he might be the best player in the class but is 11 too rich to take a center we're still doing those positional denomination things I feel like that's the type of player Romavera would get excited about and be like just bleep it let's just go take the best interior <laughs> lineman available and mold people um, yeah. and then there's all the receivers there for them too they're in a really uh, luxurious spot I think now that all the trades ahead of them have had well at least one trade ahead of them has happened they could even just auction that pick to the highest bidder at this point if, if anyone wants to come up for a receiver or or maybe just take Lindenbaum and just say hey let's just go get the best player in the draft yeah and I I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they did take a lineman but I think if they were going to take a lineman they probably want to drop back uh, and try to replace some of the picks they lost for for Wentz um and I think wide receiver itself might be in play in Washington um because on the face of it you like the the players they have, obviously Terry McLaurin's a stud and he's your number one and that's fine. Curtis Samuel is a decent number two receiver, but he didn't play at all last year. Well, he played, but he was injured basically most of the year and was very restricted in what he could do. Um, and, you know, you don't know whether he's going to come back healthy next year or not. So um, that one is a question mark. And then Diami Brown, the rookie receiver, he had they had high expectations for him at the start of the year. And then he struggled um, to start the year and he came on well towards the end of the year, but how much can you really rely on him going into the second year? So I think they probably would like to add just another good receiver to that group. So could they, could they look at drafting a guy at 11 at receiver maybe, um, or they might even look into free agency. Like they made a big play for Amari Cooper last time. Um, and he went to back to Dallas. So if he becomes available, you know, they just two years ago, they did offer him a hundred million dollar contract. So you would think they would be interested again, but could they fit that under the cap and everything? I, I don't know, but yeah, it's, um, I think they'd be looking at probably, uh, either an offensive lineman, as you say, um, or a receiver possibly at 11, um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe a corner or something like that, that they have a lot of flexibility now that they have at least decided what their quarterback is going to be. And it's yeah. obviously going to be Wentz. So they can, they can go in a lot of different directions and, and kind of stick to a best player available kind of 
philosophy. And the great thing for them is if you just did your top 40, probably 18, 20 of them are linemen or receivers somewhere in that, that range. So if you can get down from 11, that's the thing. You're going to have to have a partner come up and take someone, which it might be tough. Yeah. It could be jockeying for QBs still, I guess. If they can get down and gather assets, they are just going to be fucking stacked going into the <laughs> back end of the first round. It's loaded with the, with the pieces they would need at the right value they would probably want. All right, Mark Bullock, I'm going to let you go. Mark Bullock, you can go read him. Markbullock.substack.com is where you can read his writing. Um, I am semi excited for you. I am. I am sorry that you have to live through the Carson Wentz experience for twelve <laughs> months. But who knows? Maybe at the end of it all, you'll have at least a playoff outing. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I think if if they don't have a playoff outing, I, I think Rivera, the Rivera era, might be in trouble. Um, so, uh, for his sake, I hope they do. But uh, we'll, we'll see. 